0: Bum, 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 ba, ba And now, from the Bone Vault, with Gil and Viva. Welcome to From the Bone Vault, coming to you live from below Midnight Lair. I'm Gil. And I'm Levi. This week, we watched This Island Earth. Levi, hit me with some facts.
1: Well, This Island Earth is a science fiction movie. It was released on June 1st of 1955. And just to give you a little perspective, a few of the movies that were released that year are Rebel Without a Cause... The Seven Year Itch, Lady and the Tramp, one of my personal favorites, and The Man with the Golden Arm. Hmm. And the budget was around $800,000, I believe. It was quite a bit. They put a lot of money into the effects, which I think kind of paid off. Yeah. And directed by Joseph Newman, for the most part, he was known to have directed some Twilight Zone episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. And basically the three leads we have are Jeff Morrow as Exeter, Faith Jamir as Dr. Ruth Adams. Kind of sounds like a Bond lady or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then speaking of comic book characters, Rex Reason that as name. Cal Meacham. That I name. mean, this guy. <laughs> that is a name. Rex
0: Reason. Say that. Let that roll around in your head for a little while, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is the
1: kind of guy that just walks up and punches you in the face. But I think it's funny that his last name is Reason because he's one of the smartest scientists in the world in this movie. And Rex Reason just sort of sounds like a 50s guy that's strong and smart. It's, it's just funny. And that's the actor's name, not the character's name.
0: Exactly. Cal
1: <laughs> Meacham was the
0: character. Now, speaking, right. of, speaking of his name and it being kind of pulpy... The uh-huh. original story for that this was adap- adapted from was originally a three-parter that ran in uh, Thrilling Wonder Stories, which is a pulp magazine around that era. Mm-hmm. Quick little tidbit I found out. This is pretty cool. The guy that wrote those stories, if I'm to understand right, was named Random F. Jones. So That was either a pen name or that might have been the guy's actual name. I'm not sure. A little weird. I believe it was Raymond, right? Raymond. It may have been Raymond. I probably misheard. But his uh, agent at the time? Forrest J. Ackerman, who started Famous Monsters of Filmland. Cool. That was a cool coincidence. I'm like, okay, yeah. that kind of fits out.
1: Yeah, that connects it even more to our Midnight Layer project. Exactly. Excellent. And yeah, 1952, those stories were collected into a novel, mm-hmm. and that novel was quite popular. And of course, we have, I believe, three years later, this big budget Universal film, and a man that helped bring it to the big screen. Was the producer William Alland Mm -hmm. and he produced a lot of the universal monster sci-fi films such as the mole people it came from outer space (laughs) tarantula and the creature from the black lagoon movies those titles just make me smile they really do (laughs) those are amazing. One cool thing uh, as a little bit of a film buff that I found interesting was Allen started as an actor. He, when he first moved to New York, he befriended a budding filmmaker named Orson Welles. Oh, and, just that little name. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of him. But, no. uh, Must he Must be a nobody. He, <laughs> <laughs> he did a little audio project called War of the Worlds. And we all know that as allegedly causing a panic across the country. I've heard allegedly. accounts that that was really exaggerated but anyway he uh he being william allen the producer of this film was actually one of the voices in war of the worlds and he also was kind of the one of the stars of citizen kane because he played the reporter that investigates charles foster kane oh, in that movie okay and he it's kind of uh well-known and even a little bit of a joke that you don't really see his face. You see the back of his head a lot in that movie. But anyway, that was uh, William Allen, the guy who produced this and many, many other universal sci-fi films. And one other note I want to make about the production. Mm -hmm. William Allen did a lot of work with a director named Jack Arnold. He was a seasoned sci-fi director and, the scenes later in this movie, in the third act on Metaluna, the studio didn't like what Joseph Newman shot, yep. so they called in Jack Arnold to reshoot it, and I think he should probably be given credit on why the third act of this movie is so thrilling and beautiful. And over
0: the top?
1: Yes. I mean, they
0: one one tidbit I'd, I'd found in, in my portion of the research here was uh, Universal like purposely pushed all of the high end, effects, high end effects to the end of the film, so they right. can really punch up and sink that money into all that stuff. We'd look at it now and go, oh, that's just a green screen that, and they drew this. But if you really look at the
1: amount of effort it took for the time, it's amazing what they did with the technology they had. Right. And I think maybe your analysis just now might give away the way I'm looking at this film. I'm, you know, people might expect us to eviscerate this film because I know that it was used for the, uh, Mystery Science Three Thousand <laughs> uh, movie. I haven't actually seen that, but um, you I did to. read about it. <laughs> oh, it is! It
0: is the best. Even I, 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 we're going to get much more detail into the portion where we say you know our, our likes, dislikes about the film after we kind of run through the plot a little bit further and punch it a little. But I will say this: I love this film as a standalone. And I absolutely love the riff they did, because you can feel the love those guys have for this film by just poking it, poking it, poking it, poking it through the whole film. It's great. Cool. It's great.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. And But I was going to say, I, I kind of graded on a curve. When I watch older movies, I kind of try to put them in context. And in that sense, I really did enjoy this movie. And I guess with that, we could kind of jump into the movie. Yeah. And we start off in Washington, D.C. in front of a jet airplane and this booming baritone of a man. How did we know we were in Washington, D.C.?
0: Oh, that's right, because massive red lettering came on screen and went, Washington, D.C. And then they showed the Capitol building. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. So, yeah, talking about his voice, oh, my gosh, Rex Reeves's voice. I had not heard it in years till I watched the movie again. And as soon as that, that really deep voice, I can't even get close. I can't even – that, just, that yeah, voice just came out of him. And I'm like, holy moly, I want you to read everything. I'll just <laughs> right. hand you books and just, just do these audiobooks. Forget Malcolm McDowell, anybody else. No, you read these. Yeah, he has a wonderful
1: voice. You
2: boys like to call this a push-button age. It isn't, not yet. Not until we can team up atomic energy with electronics. Then we'll have the horses as well as a cart.
0: So following that, uh, uh, you know, we come into, we see the plane. Uh, They're sitting there talking to all these reporters. Uh, He pulls out a flight suit, steps into it while he's still in his suit suit. Like doesn't take the jacket off, doesn't take the tie off. Comes in just dress shoes, dress slacks. Just That's zips, how you do it, dude. Maybe I'm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know that you're supposed to. When you're actually... a
1: square-jawed baritone voiced <laughs> uh, protagonist in a 1950s sci-fi film, there's no reason to put on anything other than a three-piece suit underneath your flight suit. It looked dashing while doing it. <laughs> exactly. So these reporters that actually start start pecking at him and everything.
0: When you listen to the dialogue that they throw at him, I I don't want to be too critical of the way they wrote it because it was wrote for the time. But it just seemed like they asked the weirdest questions. Were these guys specifically reporters for like multiple science rags?
1: I'm not sure. Uh, It just seemed like they honestly. It just seemed like they were generic reporters joking with this this uh, pilot that was going out. They seemed like they knew him, and they were kind of. Maybe not fans, but that they were, you know, s- sort of his chorus that were singing, we, right. "We love you, we're ready for you to do this." Type thing.
0: It's a square jaw it brings them all in. Oh, oh yeah. actually, speaking of the reporters, that brings up a little tidbit. I full disclosure here, guys. I actually, teased Levi a little bit of this earlier. I asked the question, "How do you think Batman, one of your favorite topics, factors into this?" I have no that, idea. Okay, so check this out. That last reporter mm. that talks to Rex before he gets in, or to Cal before he gets in and says, uh-huh. "Hey, Cal." Remember me. That guy actually did the voice of Batman in the original
1: audio series, the audio really? series back in the day. That guy was his voice. That is awesome. I'll have that's, to look at that scene again.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: That's pretty cool. So we we get the part.
0: He, he gets in the plane, taxis out of the runway, takes off, and then we cut to this uh, other sequence of his uh, second hand guy, <clears throat> his partner in crime, coming up to a. Uh, um, Oh, gosh, I don't know the word for it. I guess the the, the control booth there. Control uh, tower. For, control tower. Thank you. Um, comes into the control tower, uh, makes his way in, and they make a comment of, hey, my boss, <laughs> only guy in a jet, and he'd be late. Yuck, yuck. Uh, and then he, he gets on the radio and says, I'm almost there. They have a couple of, of laughs, and he goes, well, where are you? Look out the window. And he pulls a maverick yep. and buzzes the buzzes Buzz the tower. The tower. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> so get, what I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> so they get this they get this look of awe of like, oh, isn't he just swell? And then they use a term. Now, I didn't get a chance to look the term up, but they say, oh, he had a flame out. Did you, did you get a chance to actually look that, that terminology up to see what a flame out even means?
1: No, I didn't. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, in aviation, a flame out re- refers to the rundown of a jet engine caused by the extinction of the flame in the combustion chamber. So I guess his engine died, more or less. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So, and so maybe the, that maybe that could
1: have happened based on what he did, being an idiot. Right. <laughs> but the cool thing uh, that happened next was his his plane is engulfed in this green hue and... One thing I immediately thought of when the uh, when this happened, are you familiar at all with the origins of Hal Jordan, the yeah. second green lantern um, he was a He was a pilot, a test pilot, and just the the image of sort of a showboat pilot being enveloped in green and taken somewhere pretty much against his will it totally reminded me of hal jordan because something similar happens in which uh a green i won't go too much into this but uh in the green lantern sort of mythos there are a core of green lanterns that each have a sector in the universe that they take care of and they right. have a power ring and when they die that power ring finds the most suitable being near them to wield the power of the the Green Lantern and the ring and finds them. And so in Hal Jordan's origin stories, he's out testing some sort of equipment for Ferris Mm -hmm. air and the current Green Lantern for the sector in which earth lies crashes on earth. Abin sur, Abin sur, thank you. And, uh, Abin sur crashes on earth and the ring actually brings Hal Jordan to Abin sur so that he can confer this responsibility to him, and I just thought that was kind of cool, and I actually looked it up this time. I know last time I kind of dropped the ball with Poison Ivy, but I <laughs> looked it up, <laughs> and Hal Jordan's first appearance was October 1959, so I think uh, it's probably a good, a good chance that this yeah. film had some, some sort of inspiration. And one other thing I noticed when I was first watching the movie is that Exeter and Brack and... <laughs> the other guy on metaluna kind of bear a resemblance to the guardians of oa which are oh the, my gosh i didn't in, even think of in that. green lantern they have kind of big heads and white hair and they sort of sit on in oa and make decisions for everyone kind of like uh exeter's boss was doing
0: wow you, that's <laughs> that's not so, gonna
1: that's not getting out the park, my friend. That I did not even
0: make that connection. That is so cool because that's one of the things we I, I found in my research and in kind of us doing a quick compare at the top. Mm-hmm. This film influenced so many other Huge. things, right? Pit bits and pieces. This this one production has lived on through so many other films and different pieces, and we'll we'll touch on more of them as we go. Um, before we get away from this um, jet scene, though, I do want to point something out anyone who's watched this film just a, it's a minor thing um if you have cotton nearby you may want to keep that handy because your <laughs> ears will start bleeding yes. from the high pitched high frequency né- 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 that comes into the oh my god i it turned does it on not end. It does oh not it is end. the longest it's like what two and a half three solid minutes of this yes. sound
1: I mean, they could have had it in for 20 seconds or something and just said, oh, you know, I said, no, it just stayed there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I had to turn down my headphones.
0: (laughs) So when I'm watching it, I'm watching the film again. I got it on. I've gone, you know, I'm kicked back in the couch, or whatever. And this thing comes up, and I go holy, and I'm start clamoring for the remote to kill it. My <laughs> wife yells from across the room, "What is that? Turn that <laughs> off! That's horrible!" I'm like, "I'm trying."
1: Yeah, it's so I pretty had to bad. quickly
0: mute it. I, and you'd think, having seen this film as many times as I had before, that I would have remembered that.
1: Um, I yeah, can't we, imagine we, that happening in the theater. Oh, like I, I would just have to clap my hands over my ears for that portion because man, it was pretty bad. If we ever do a meetup, guys, and
0: we say we're going to watch a film, this will not be one of those films. Because we're not (laughs) going to subject you to Dolby digital surround sound with that noise. (laughs) Or we'll edit something more pleasant in. (laughs) Some Jefferson airplane (laughs) or something. There you go. (laughs) So we finish up the scene there. They talk for a minute. They have a really funny exchange as soon as he lands. His Mm -hmm. little uh, sidekick guy rolls up and goes... Uh, something to the effect of it. I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing here. Uh, uh, what happened up there? Uh, I had no control. I should be dead right now. And he's like, well, Cal, you know, call me a, uh, paint me uh, something along the lines of, uh, paint me red and call me a ghost, but I, I could have sworn you were surrounded in a green light. <laughs> and he's, and he said, um, uh, Oh, I'm going to flub the line here. But he said something along the lines of he goes, "Hey, did did uh the guy in the control tower see anything?" He goes, "Well, he'd have to be blind if he didn't." He goes, "Well, check with him." He goes, "Oh, and and pal, if he is a, if he did see anything, we were all blind today." <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, jeez, guys. So, it was a, it was a fun little exchange there. And you get to see that's one of the things I like. I really did enjoy about the film that I think and we're gonna to get to a little further when it cuts this piece off, but I think they lost a little bit of the charm when they stopped having that showing that relationship between these two really good friends right that worked side by side with each other. Because these two actors genuinely played that off a little bit. Yeah. Um when you get to the next scene, and you know, they're there, Cal's walking in and getting his little access badge and boop, 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 getting into his lab. And, uh, you get to see that they're the, in the experimental wing of right. this government facility. And, uh, they're all playing around with their things. The, he comes in and sees this, I guess, bunch of equipment built into a wall with a visor. So it, it, they, they lower the, uh, <laughs> the big sheet of metal in. And Oops. then, it, it, they actually said, oops, in the right. film. He goes, oops, and this massive, I mean, massive explosion, yeah. fire everywhere, and they just kind of go,
1: huh? Yeah. They're like, ah, well, shouldn't have done that.
0: They're 100% nonplussed, like, okay. ah, that's fine. It's almost like like, did, did they, they didn't hit any buttons to, to put the fire out. No. They didn't have any sprinkler systems in there. They're like, meh, that didn't work. Let that simmer for a while. Yeah.
1: Just let it go out. It'll go out. <laughs> And, like, so, aren't they in a place that might possibly have nuclear materials or something that could possibly, you know, do something if it burned up? <laughs> you know what the answer to that is? Science. Science. <laughs> Which is Absolutely. the answer to a lot of things in this film. Yes. Yeah. The funny thing about science is this, uh, con- what was it, a condenser, conducer, condenser that they received? The CX condenser. Yes. And I made XC a note of condenser, that. That's it.
0: Because it looked like a gas can that they had they had hot glued two just protruding bits onto the top of yeah. the original and there was, CX condensers.
1: Right. And there was just like black tar coming out of the top of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it <laughs> looked like
0: somebody, something somebody had went, uh, Steve, how are we going to get this much electricity in here? I don't know. Bill hot glued a bunch of crap together <laughs> from the yard and got enough voltage in it. You want right. to try that? Sure. What are we going to call it? Eh, XC condenser. Why? Sure. Well, the XB condensers kept
1: blowing up. This is the next one. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, but then they get a new one, which comes in this tiny box. It's just a tiny red bead with some metal sticking out on either side of it. And oh, yeah, and just that was a I fun guess scene.
0: I, I guess that to me that felt like I'm, I had not seen in any other films up to that point them mentioning the. The direction that a lot of electronics manufacturers went toward microtization Mm -hmm. and 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 bringing things down to much smaller and smaller and smaller bits—that's the first instance I can remember in a film having seen legit technological microtization on screen.
1: Right. This is very prescient. If you know, if it is like you say, the first time, it's very prescient of where things are going and he talks about meacham talks about being able to run a factory on a cell the size of a matchbook or something (laughs) like that (laughs) and you know we're we're getting to where thing we're not quite there but we're getting to where you know making things smaller is very effective Exactly. And you saw that trend
0: coming out of the you know the, the 50s, 60s, 70s and we just kept going that direction. It's right. funny you brought that up, him saying that line. I actually caught this in there. Joe says when they're talking about the what it could run, it's like I, I wish my wife would use this in the kitchen. Oh gosh, yes. And Cal says, if she did that, she'd gain 20 pounds. And huh, And he goes walks away. If you look at Joe's face, the actor visibly has his face drop like what would you just say about my I wife? I missed that. Wow. Yeah, if you get the chance, go check it again. Joe's face drops, like, as he's looking at Cal's back, like wow. he doesn't want to outwardly be mean to him. Sure. It's like, you big bully. Don't talk about my wife. But then he kind of shakes it off for a second and gets back into the scene. Wow. So it's a testament to that actor's, you know, his portrayal of this character that he just right. g- took the rib and you saw him react to it.
1: Well, and he's a little uh, progressive being in the 50s and... Being protective of you know not guffawing with Cal about haha women they do housework and they 'll get fat if it 's easier, so that 's pretty cool,
0: yeah, it was a pretty neat little scene um so they they get this little condenser, and his friend uh Joe there makes mention that like. You know, I ordered the normal parts, but they sent us these. And he starts looking through. He's like, well, did we test it? And he makes mention that. And correct me if I get the number wrong. He makes mention that we put 30,000 volts through this thing and it didn't do anything. And Cal just kind of gives him a what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We've got to test that. I got a testing lab right over here. And they come over there and they, they blow it up, crank up the voltage. Boom. And he goes, Huh? (laughs) <laughs> like nothing shocks these guys, right?
1: Nothing. They, they do not have a eureka moment because no. they don't have a eureka in them. They just have a
0: huh. <laughs> so it's just they just nothing. Nothing stops them. <laughs> so somehow or another, they they work toward the point where they get an instruction manual in hand, and it's yes. this. They make a point that it's metal paper. Sure. They o- order all the <laughs> they order <laughs> all the parts to this piece of equipment called an
1: interocitor. 2 2486 parts to be precise none of which can be replaced if broken so keep that in mind that's literally what they say. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, when they got the parts in, I thought Indiana
0: Jones Storage Place had shipped them a bunch of stuff by mistake with the amount of boxes that were in there. Possibly. Oh, and I, right. And I found out they actually used those boxes in a different film. They were actually in the background of a film that was, I think, three or four years later. Oh, cool. The same, the same branding was just still left on there. They didn't even change it. They just That's awesome. threw those, those boxes in the back of a scene. Yeah. Um, Why not? So th- they start unpacking everything. They get their list. They start putting it together.
1: And you get the coolest oh. thing the montage. It, it's like the Breaking Bad montage, but a little more boring and way more it was, 50s. No, it
0: was great. It was <laughs> great because you see them. Like, you can almost think the prop guy that built this thing put this thing together and went, We have to have a montage of them putting it together. <laughs> I have to create seals on this thing they're actually going to be able to put together. And they're not going to break this thing when they when they do these these shots, right? So you could just see the prop guy trying to figure this out, and they they finally, you know, cobble this thing together, and it is the weirdest thing in the world to see all those parts laid out that connect to nothing of the end result. And yeah, when it doesn't done, look anything like that would
1: no, nothing
0: I agree. like that. <laughs> Here's the other thing that was kind of weird to me, stepping back. When they start looking at the plans themselves and they roll everything out after they've looked at it, he asks Cal, he says, where do we start? And Cal goes, hmm, here. And he points to this little
1: <laughs> circular, circular bit.
0: Yeah. They don't reference it again. They don't bring up why he started there, what no. circuit that might be. Because um,
1: he knows. He just knows. Because his chin knows. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah. why Exeter sent this to him, because he would know how to do it. I and mean, that's the next that's right. the next bit. Take it from there. <laughs> well, uh, when they finally get this inter Rossiter put together, um, <laughs> uh, w- uh, what was his friend's name? Joe, I think it was. Joe. He, Joe said, yeah. <laughs> he said a good line. He said, I think my kids would say, dig this crazy mixed up plumbing. And I thought that was <laughs> such a great 50s line. <laughs> Just a- sort of almost apropos of nothing. It's like some writer was like, oh, I got I to gotta put this in here. Joe's going to say that.
0: No, the writer that did that had to have been a dad, because that was 100% a dad thing to say. It's like, yeah, my kids would have said this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, they get this thing put together, right? And,
1: uh, okay, what was your reaction when you saw Exeter for the first time? My first reaction was, hey, it's a Star Trek alien, sort of human, with a bumpy <laughs> head and a weird skin tone. That was my exact thought. When I
0: was young and I actually saw that for the first time, my aunt was watching uh, the film with me. Because this was like sci-fi channel, middle of the day, middle of summer. This movie had come on Mm -hmm. well before the Mystery Science Theater 3000 run. And I said, Aunt Jen, what is that? She goes, I think that's an alien. I said, (laughs) what's wrong with his head? She goes, I don't know. (laughs) That led to us watching the whole film because we wanted to know. Nice. What these guys were. And by the end we went, I thought they were going to change or something.
1: <laughs> Me too. <Okay. laughs> I thought they were going to rip, you know, take off the, the top of their head or something. Like pull, peel back right? their skin and have some sort of pulsing brain in there. But no, they just look that way. That would have been awesome and gross.
0: <laughs> oh, I actually find out, speaking of those aliens, <clears throat> I actually found out that, again, talking about the things this movie influenced... Dan Aykroyd, actually, and one of the other SNL writers at the time that they brought up the Coneheads, mm-hmm. credits this movie with that elongated huh. forehead, the bigger heads, with their inspiration for the cone heads. That is really cool. So, again, this movie led to so many different things that right. were out there. These just little bits and pieces where people would pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, it comes up. You see Exeter for the first time on the big triangular screen. Uh, and he kind of... It amazed me how arrogant he came across yeah. as opposed to later in the film. Yeah, he seemed like a totally different character almost. It was it, it just weird. It was jarring how different he was. Mm-hmm. So they, they banter for a little bit. And again, Rex Reason uh, or – I'm sorry, Cal Meach. I'm say by his character name. Cal is 100% in the cool about everything. He just sees this random guy come up on a random screen. Now keep in mind, yeah. in the 1950s, there were no cell phones. There was no video, uh, very little actual like telecommunication like we have now uh, or to the level we have it. Right. You, know, you don't have things like uh, Skype and things like that with video or what we're using, Google Hangouts. Mm-hmm. So it floored me when he just went, so you're this guy named Exeter, huh? You must be cool. And then they start rapping and I'm like, how are you not... <laughs> Mind explodingly baffled by the fact of stop the presses. We'll get to your little science thing in a minute. How the hell does this communication thing work? Can we right. put these at homes? Can I market it? Is the government going to come
1: steal this thing now? Right. You know I, he I kind was of baffled Cal. I just thought of this. Um, Cal kind of reminds me of the scientist in Prometheus. Did you see that mm. uh, Prometheus? It was kind of the prequel to Alien. And I, I won't spoil the movie, but I will say that um the scientists in that movie are very curious in a non-scientific way. And what I mean by that, there's one moment where a weird looking creature, it looks like a snake that comes out of like a black puddle of oil looking stuff. It's been a while since I've seen it. But basically, sure. he leans forward and pokes at the thing and... Yeah, so... What is he, they...
2: Steve Irwin? <laughs>
1: yeah, hey. and I, I felt like Cal was kind of like that. He he, wasn't so much curious as just wanting to act on whatever stimulus was put in front of him, and he didn't take a scientific approach to anything. Even when they get on Metaluna, they just kind of, they don't ask any questions, and no. later on in the ship, when they put him in the reconfigurator or whatever, they don't ask what it does. They're just like, Oh, you got to get your body ready for entry. Okay. I mean, they could have filled the tubes with water. They could have just incinerated them. They, they still me- don't know what they did. These are luna farts. <laughs> right. And they still don't <laughs> know what they did to their body. I mean, they could have given them cancer. Who knows? Um. <laughs> so from there, Exeter raps with him a minute.
0: He tells them back away, back away further, one more step, mm-hmm. zap, and you get this I've heard a lot of people give it a little bit of a hard time, but I loved it. I liked it. And they blow the plans, the book up. And Cal thinks, For at that last second, you see this kind of thought go across his head of, I should unplug that damn thing. Yeah. And then he does. And then his pulling of the cord i don't know if he was supposed to be acting like he was electrocuted but then he goes about a foot and a half back from the thing into a bunch of boxes and then him and joe kind of pull this wacky who could have with their feet trying to Mm -hmm. get up and away from the thing it liquidates and then they just kind of casually walk back over and talk about it right huh hmm (laughs) maybe i should join this exeter guy on his thing It's weird it's not giving off any energy it's a burnt hunk of of metal yeah did you expect it what did you expect to get off it with your (laughs) random like was that supposed to be a geiger counter and if so why didn't they use it on the device ahead of time to get a reading you never see him do that
1: right well like i said they're curious in a non-scientific way yes (laughs) and i think that is a good way to characterize a lot of the actions in this movie by the quote-unquote scientists exactly Oh, just real fast
0: before we step away from, from uh, Exeter, I actually found out that he's actually been in a, a lot of other sci-fi films. Really? Um, the actor? Yeah, yeah, several. Yeah, the actor himself that played Exeter. He's been in, I want to say, like, gosh, 10, 11 other big-budget sci-fi films and low-budget sci-fi films. <laughs> uh, several of the members of this cast were in other films of the time. Um, but then we trans- we get this, this line from Cal after that of, well, I'm going to be on that plane. Again, as Levi pointed out, just throws himself at stuff with no questions asked. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's just do it. So what's the setup on the next scene?
1: Well, I believe the next scene was them waiting for the airplane. Is that correct? In the fog. And they say Mm -hmm. the fog is so thick. No plane's coming. And of course, right when they say that, you hear the plane coming and they step inside. You might as well have heard a uh, Foley guy in the back go, (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> and this plane lands. And the cool thing was when they look inside, it's got sort of, a, I don't know if you'd call it a retrofit or a super fit of an interocitor sort of <laughs> attached into the plane. With that
0: nice, With that nice little atomic symbol that's supposed yes, to be... Yes, this was...
1: You notice that's a motif through this entire film is the triangle and the uh, atomic symbol because they have... Yep the devices both in their spaceship and on metaluna that are sort of a 3d representation of that.
0: And it's, it's on almost everything. I mean, my my immediate thought when I saw the symbol again was when they made the original interocitor, I thought that when it had all that little, the paint job on the front, the decal, I said, Mm -hmm. okay, these guys are scientists. They work in atomic energy. Okay. They slapped the decal on there. But when the plane landed and I saw it inside, I went, are you joking? These aliens decal everything with an atomic symbol why how would you even know you, you, the, the one of the plot lines here is is that they're coming to earth to try to save some things we'll get that later how would they have even known that that symbol existed did they bring it here
1: are they the ancient egyptian aliens the guy on tv keeps talking about well i mean that's that's what atoms look like when you look at them in a fashion so if they had the technology to look at atoms true true with uh, but they just
0: don't seem like they're the type that like brand everything. You look at their planet, their their suits. Well, everything is unadorned except for that,
1: right? But you got to think that uh, their planet is on the verge of extinction, and they could have had a whole society before this that was set up in this way. They could have had uh, a marketing group that had atomic O's, uh, right. atomic
0: cars, <laughs> atomic cups. <laughs>
1: And I mean, if it was a society that was advanced and rooted itself in science, I don't think it's such a stretch that an atomic symbol could be something that was important to them. Um, True. I I really think the meta reason is just it's the fifties and ooh science. So you know, atomic. <laughs> well, that's symbol. pretty much.
0: I mean, we said it before. That's pretty much Cal's reasoning for everything. Especially right. when he gets in that and into the thing, he sees this setup and sits in the chair and he's like, Meh,
1: science. And um, one thing I wanted to say before we move on about the atomic symbol, one thing I thought of, and I guess why I give it a little credence, and I'm showing my biases here, but (laughs) is because that's the symbol that Dr. Manhattan chooses to represent himself in Watchmen. I think it's a hydrogen atom. It's been a while, but he carves the symbol in his own head. And... That's what I'm going off of, so I'm kind of taking a comic book reason to justify this 1950s sci-fi movie. But you know, that's who I am, so that's what I'm. Hey, gonna hey use. I've heard I've heard way worse connections. <laughs> so hey, we'll run with it. So
0: after Cal gets in the vehicle or into the uh, plane, mm-hmm. uh, we get we are treated. Treated. I mean, the bouquet of sound we are brought that's brought to our ears of that same sound that same high pitched whine again right <sighs> he goes into the air makes his way back down after it looked like he was drugged but i assume he fell asleep because he's in this position where he's
1: right and they said he didn't <laughs> need a seatbelt so i guess they have some sort of uh gravity harness on him which is kind the of the weirdest cool stabilizing technology science
0: science so (laughs) he makes his landing gets out of the car and then we get one of the
1: the odd points of the film i thought yeah having never seen the film i expected him to land in somewhere much more exotic but he lands in some sort of field and i think oh he's on another planet but then i see the field is is sort of has lines in it like a tractor has gone through it and i'm like wait a minute where is he so this car pulls up And who who we learn is Dr. Ruth Adams jumps out and basically is like, yep, you're in Georgia. I'm like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, wait, you had this super secretive plane with all this crazy extra technology. You did this in a fashion to where I wouldn't know where I was going. And we're in Georgia?
1: And you tell me immediately when I get off the plane. (laughs) I just... So he he sees Ruth and uh immediately he remembers...
0: I've been with this dame before. Yeah. And he starts going into this whole past they have, which she plays off as, oh, I guess that wasn't me. You're mistaken.
1: I immediately picked up that she was being very conspicuous about not remembering him. And my immediate thought was that someone had wiped her mind and she actually didn't remember because she seemed pretty genuine about it.
0: Yeah, and the actress actually portrayed it – I got to give her credit. She actually portrayed it pretty well with her, uh, you, you know, hey, no, uh, I guess that wasn't me. That must have been somebody else. <laughs> Shall we get in the car? Right. And I do have to point out, th- that wood paneled car was amazing looking. Yes, I love I it. I was so envious of those people. I'm like, oh, I just – can I, Can you just guys go park that at my house? I don't even need to drive it. Just park <laughs> it outside so I can just point out and go, look. Look at this car. This thing's amazing. Yeah, man. Cars um, used to be beautiful. Uh we won't talk about what happened. That'll be another episode where we talk about <laughs> industry vehicles. Um, so they kind of exchange banter. He's giving her the, the stink eye the whole way there because he's a little upset, uh, making their way all the way to the compound. Um, do it, Real quick, do you remember what she referenced when she called? She actually had a name for the place. No, uh, I didn't write that down. Uh, I think she called it the castle or maybe the dungeon, something of that nature when they wow, rolled up and he gave that. her this this kind of... You give this kind of, huh?
1: And she, oh, ha, ha, ha. We just call it that because we're just slaves to the grind. Ha, 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 And then they well, walk in. Well, you know, uh, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I did make a note later on that Exeter kind of makes a joke when they're in dinner and says something to the effect of, uh, we'll wait to crack the whip on Dr. Meacham until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, sort of alluding to this, they're going to be slaves. And I think there's a couple of little tidbits that they drop in which for a movie of this sort of you know matinee monster movie almost sci-fi it was kind of cool to see those little touches that they put in there that were sort of uh foreshadowing what was going to happen or what the actual plot was
0: right right actually well made well written to just drop those subtle hints. I i agree i agree so once they get in they make their acquaintances with a few people um get through the niceties, uh, and you get this character that walks on. Uh we've we've said his name a couple times, but I I just gotta point out that I thought that this was so funny. When you look at the Metalunans themselves, that race, they're mm-hmm. very proper, very focused. Uh right. But you look at Brack as he walks through the scene, and you almost could hear this waka-chicka, 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 (laughs) waka-chicka, as he's coming through. And it's like, and it's Brack, Brack. And he's like, yeah. And he gives him this ice-cold look as he comes through, like, I don't want none of your crap. Don't even look at me. And he walks into another room, and they say, oh, who is that? Oh, that's Brack. As she turns her back to him. And it's like, oh. (laughs) So it's like, where did he pick this up? How long has Brack been on Earth? He well, doesn't act like any of the other metalunans.
1: No, but I think once again you got to think that their planet is almost destroyed and so I don't know what his point of view is. They don't really give any sort of uh, no. history of his, but uh I feel like there are so few metalunans possibly even left that you know there's they've got to the be all over the board. Small. Yeah. Right. And as we see later on and you hinted at Exeter seems sort of more like a more benevolent force and I mean to me Brack just came off as just I don't know that he was angry but he just seemed very dour and kind of like he was there on a mission that he didn't really want to do but he knew he had to do that's kind of the vibe I got off of him right And he wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to elbow with these people. He didn't really care to get to know them because I ultimately, I don't think he respects them. I don't think he respects the humans or thinks that they're, you know, possibly as worthy of being brought into their mission as uh, some of his fellow Metalunans did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you get back to the, the, you know, when he's communicating, you know, as you go a little further, there's a little tete-a-tete between uh, Exeter and Cal and Mm -hmm. the uh, Lady Doctor. As they're all talking, getting comfortable with the place, another enterocitor comes (laughs) out of the wall. Oh, I I was waiting for him to hit a wrong switch and then the bat poles show up behind one of the panels. (laughs) Flip Um, up
1: that uh, bust of Shakespeare.
0: (laughs) so they uh they they check some things uh out he sees his lab, which was a you know pretty close facsimile of his own lab back mm-hmm. in uh, uh uh washington d c Sorry, I have to say it like the text came up uh and they're interrupted he's, he kind of ushers them out very quickly. they talk for a few moments, and then you get to see another character that floored me that this actor was in this film i know I know he's been in others, but it was like, what when I was a kid? The doctor from Gilligan's Island comes strolling into the scene. <laughs> I didn't catch that. No, that's the other actor. The 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 other the other um wow. A scientist that's palling around with him. Right. right. Later or something we'll talk about it. Something significant happens to him in a car. Right. Yeah, I no, the doctor I know what from- you're talking about. I yeah. just didn't
1: make that connection.
0: Yeah, it's totally him. I'm like, wow. "Is he going to show him how to make a coconut radio? <laughs> Please tell me he shows him
1: how to make a coconut radio." Nope.
0: He's going to so- show him how to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the foreshadowing uh, <laughs> so they, they talk for a bit you get these vibes from everybody that like things aren't as they seem things yeah. aren't right
1: nobody's quite being open with Meacham no. not, and not he at catches on to it he thinks that he, uh, he would be a little crackered if he didn't think something was funny that's the phrase he uses <laughs> Are you? wow <laughs> 1950s don't you ever change I love it
0: So they go a little further into into the movie. Everybody's talking a little bit here. Cal gets into his – they they take a a trip down into the uh, uh, lab itself and he kind of basically moves this sheet of – I think it's lead or iron in the way and says, hey, Mm -hmm. if the lead's here and that's solid lead, maybe they can't hear us. Maybe you ought to spill the beans. So they have this conversation and the cat jumps up. Onto the uh, the top of the uh, big lead sheet and mm-hmm. kind of gives away that they're actually being spied upon. Right? Did you catch this? They called the cat neutrino.
1: Yeah. Did you hear the line she used right afterward, though? Yeah, it was something about neutrino waves. I think I don't remember exactly what it was. She says, "No, no, no, I'm sorry, I said that wrong." They call the cat neutron, and oh, she neutron. says,
0: "Okay, because he's so positive." <laughs> Okay. Did anybody crack a physics book before they decided to watch my wife's a physics teacher. She almost had a kitten herself when she heard that.
1: <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah, go that's back and check it out. It's, it's even funnier, funnier than it needs like, to oh, be.
0: Guys, come on. Read a book. Uh wow. but yeah, I did make a I did make a note that they used neutrino waves, to which Cal goes, Neutrino waves? And that's it. That's it. They don't explain them.
1: They don't talk about the difference between those and microwaves. Nothing. They just go, what? And then he just moves on. And, you know, watching old movies like this, that's something I almost appreciate because I feel like these days we get too into the weeds trying to explain science fiction as something that could be realistic and that we get bogged down in making it justified and realistic. And I do think there's a, a happy medium and, you know... This islander definitely falls on the far other side of that, but I I, I, de- I do that give that the- him some credit for just moving forward. Yeah,
0: to that end, though, to that that exact phenomenon, I've always called that the Star Trek effect where you have to have the techno babble with it to explain it. That's right. Me, that's where I felt that that started them trying to rationalize it. And it carried over into next generation and all the other iterations. Right. But I think they were the trend centers of that idea of, Oh, well, captain, this is how you transport this thing over here. And you go to lithium crystals. And this is mm-hmm. how this right. works. Interconnectivity. R- very Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, before we get too far away from the scene of them talking by the, the lead panel, uh the doctor from Gilligan's Island pulls out these sketches they have, right? And they show
1: like oh, you'll man. notice the big ridged indentions. Who drew those? Did they and have why a why cor- did they need a- sketches? Why do they need sketches? I, I just You have cameras. <laughs> cameras right. exist, guys. It's like, right. no wait, don't brack, brack, don't move. I'm trying to get this angle on you so I can show a guy later, your big frippin' forehead. Well they did make a point that Pictures can't be taken of the interrosseter, so maybe they just don't let people with cameras near them. True, true. We want to talk about the sun lamp real quick. Oh, no, hit me with the sun lamp. You have to, you have to remind me Ruth of that mentions brain. the sun lamp. Uh, <gasps> oh, yeah. She says go ahead. something. I don't remember the exact dialogue, but she says something about don't bring this up because they'll put you under the sun lamp, which is basically a device that seems to extract portions of your memory. And uh, that's why she played dumb. When she met Meacham for the first time, because she didn't want them to wipe either of their minds.
0: Ah, uh, so that exp- uh, so that's further explanation. I think I caught part of that, but I was so there's parts of this movie that I got so into the just the the sets and the pacing of the film. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of the plot points that I, unfortunately just kind of whooped right over my head because I kind of had to go
1: wait a second that doesn't make sense. But right. as we're going back through this and you're explaining, it's like oh, they did say that. I think is this when Exeter and I guess his boss have a discussion? Is it in the car? Yeah. Is that what it is? No, no. This was actually they, they had
0: their discussion in the lab. Okay. And then Exeter and uh his his superior had that conversation right when Brack is there as well. Oh, okay. Uh, right. and they talk about the plans. Yep. We proceed with plan A? No. Proceed with plan A. Plan B can't work. You're met. m you're you're taking too many risks keep to plan A, get them in line. And you get this this sense from the higher-ups that it, it, there's essentially going to be an invasion. Right. of the planet. So under the cover of this of this same setup, the, this almost this it feels like it's all in the same night because you don't yeah. get another day shot other than uh Exeter and Cal having a quick conversation via mm. the interocitor. Yep. Uh where he explains move that sheet of lead over and he zaps it in front of him to show that almost like that could have been you pal. Right. Uh, And they they have this little bit of banter back and forth. uh, And he explains that, you know, I I have the best intentions of mine. Trust me, but I'll blow you the hell up. Right. So uh, again, it seems like almost a continuation from there. They try to don't, I don't even think they changed clothes. It looked like they were wearing the same outfit they were wearing for two days yeah they go to leave the compound <laughs> in the woody in the in the car the amazing car mm-hmm. and did you did you laugh till you hurt at watching the doctor do this number gesticulating like crazy <laughs> right. and doing movie driving? It's like, yeah, I'm on the road. I'm all over the place.
1: You know, when I was a kid, I thought you had to move the wheel <laughs> to drive a car. I'm not kidding. I thought that, you know, you had the uh, the little thing, the little thing you sat on when you were a kid and you had to move it back and forth. So it went forward. I thought. That that's how real cars worked. And when I first was a kid and somebody set me up in the front seat, I jiggled my hands back and forth because I thought, hey, that's how you drive. That's how they do it in the movies. <laughs> um, so you, you get this shot of of Brack. Uh, they they finish the conversation
0: with the higher up. Exeter leaves. Brack checks in on them. And mm-hmm. you get this shot of the interocitor screen getting a visual of what the camera gets from the front of the hood of the car. But the inner it looked as though, and it could just be that maybe they explained this somehow with the innerositer, but I thought you had to have a concurrent point or another or a uh, connection point on the other the other end because you had the interocitor in hmm. cow's lab, so they showed cow 's lab you right. had the interocitor on the ship in later scenes where they have that single point to point communication, and the inneroiter is faced at the control panels right so when brack hits a boop a boop, boop and turns a knob, and you get the sh- same shot from the hood of it. Is the hood ornament on the car an enterocitor? Could be. I, n- I never thought of that. And the, and if you have a car that has an enterocitor screen on the front, why would you do what happens later, which is they get caught... Brack gets a smile on his face and starts firing lasers at the car. This right. bombardment of red lasers, <laughs> going everywhere, and they're swerving. Get off the road. Like that's gonna help you. That has nothing to do with it, Cal. Get right. it together. They swerve off the road and they're driving all around, being bombarded, and the the doctor from Gilligan's Island, whose name escapes me, I apologize I'm referencing him like that. Um Says, bail out of the car at the next, at the next chance we get to slow down. (laughs) So they get to the stopping point. The two of them bail out. And at that point, I don't know if he looks at them and says, huh, I should draw the fire away and heroically sacrifice myself. Or if he goes, F those two, I'm out of (laughs) here. And he takes off and they yell his name and you see him go, arg, hand thrown against his face as Brad. Finally nails the vehicle
1: and Yeah. Explosions.
0: It was awesome.
1: Yeah. And I wanna go back just a tad. Did you notice that the interositor it normally has sort of this cloud of random colors? And mm-hmm. then when they go to the communication with Metaluna, the screen changed. Did you notice how it changed? Uh uh-uh. It went to a black screen with what looked like concentric green, blue, and red circles sort of expanding into one another. No, I didn't catch that. And uh this got me to thinking about War of the Worlds, the 1953 movie version of War of the Worlds. Sure. The Martians, they have the red green and blue sort of lights in their forehead do you remember that oh yeah and this further got me to thinking when i did a little bit of research uh and obviously it says that at the beginning of the movie that this movie was made in technicolor right. and in what fact first? it was no it was one of the last oh movies made in technicolor and i wanted to speak a little bit about that <clears throat> and I do have a point, point um, and I I did <laughs> Strap a little in. research. You're about to get educated, people. <laughs> right, and I'm by no means uh, an expert on film, and I did, but I did do a little bit of research, and I thought it was interesting how Technicolor film actually works, so I'm just going to go in that real quick, and then I'll get right back to the movie. Like I said, this is one of the last movies that was made with the Technicolor filming process and actually the special effects, like the explosion you were talking about with the car that had Carlson in it. Those were actually shot on with an Eastman color process, which was what most movies were doing at the time. So that's why you might've noticed that the explosions look like they're sort of in a different uh, color field than the rest of the movie. It's, I don't know. It's kind of a slight thing, but anyway, jumping into Technicolor, Technicolor was a process that was developed in 1916 1916, sorry. And um I didn't know it went that far back that it was yeah, that that old of a of a uh, process for film. Right. It I was kind of surprised too. I didn't know it went back quite that far. And there were actually multiple processes in the beginning that were developed or along the way. And a lot of those first processes had what they called a two strip process, which had to do with red and green processes that they put together to make a color and they couldn't really get super realistic colors. And so it didn't take off. But when they got to the fourth process, they came to something called a three strip process. And this allowed the film to be played in a normal projector, unlike the previous versions. So this was very important in cost savings. It was still very expensive, and that's why not all movies were made in Technicolor. But Hmm. uh, a quick thing on the film processing. Uh, It's sort of a chemical process, and I'm going to glide over a lot of those... Processes and boil it down to the simplest points. So basically, the way that they shot Technicolor film is they would bring the light into the camera and the camera would split the beam in two. And it would take a third of that beam of light that's in the green color space and it would imprint on a film, on a piece of film. And then the rest of the light beam would go to another point where a strip of film would absorb the blue color, and then the red would pass through that and be absorbed into a third strip of film. So that's why it was called a three-strip process. And this is the reason the colors pop so much off the screen. And basically what they did when they put it back together is they had a fourth clear strip of film that had the soundtrack on it and the frame lines, which are basically the... You know, when you see a widescreen movie, you see the Mm -hmm. black bars at the top and bottom. Those are actually the distance between the frames on the actual strip of film. It would have those and the soundtrack on it. And it's kind of interesting. They put the they exposed the film strips in turn on this black and white film strip and sort of overlaid in kind of a it's almost like lithography, if you've heard of that, or Mm -hmm. like offset printing. On film, and it would put those colors together to get the bright colors that we see on screen and I had that's always noticed really cool right i didn't i 've never done that level of research on it that's
0: that I never knew that me neither I, I always wonder why that that you had colors that were just so poppy and vibrant on right, that, but now that makes sense that's awesome
1: yeah, and furthermore, I had always noticed that the Martians in World of the Worlds had the red, green, blue, because those are the primary colors of light. When you combine them all, you get white. And I thought, oh, that's just kind of a cool thing they did. But I wonder now if they did that because those three colors would be sort of the purest colors they could get on screen and they would look the brightest and maybe that's why they sort of gave that to the aliens in both war of the worlds and this island earth to sort of make them stick out even more and anyway we can get back to the film but i just thought that was a cool little effect that i noticed with the red green and blue sort of circles emanating out from the interocitor when they were speaking back to metaluna
0: no, that's cool. That's a cool tidbit because you don't – you never think those – again, coming back to how well put together this film was. Even, again, even for us poking at it, these little touches fed into other things, and that mm-hmm. speaks to the care they put into the film. <laughs> right. So we, we progress out of that scene after, boom, he's dead, mm-hmm. uh, to them coming out of the water, and Cal says – uh, I, th- I think he says – We've got to make it to the airport, see if we can get a plane out of here. And what I'm wondering is, did everything transition at that point to, we think everybody's dead, let's just get the heck out of here? Because they went to Plan B. Oh, actually, before we get to Plan B, we're treated, once again, friends of science, to the <laughs> most pleasant sound in the entirety of the world. The loudest ear splitting humming you've ever heard in your entire life again. <laughs> oh my God. After this, you actually see the entire building. Yeah. Plan B goes into effect. Boom. Scorched they blow dirt. the place up. Was
1: Plan B blow the damn building up? I believe so. Uh, I, I think Plan B was just get rid of all assets, leave. I think that was it. So, boom, that place goes up in flames.
0: Cal and the doctor, Ruth, uh, (laughs) take off in their plane. I I just put that together. We're giggling because we're immature. Uh, Cal and and Ruth take off in the plane, and it's almost like the showing of the first time you actually get to see a full-fledged Martian, or uh, actually Martian, extraterrestrial spacecraft. It's like... Nah, no big deal. No swell of music. No. No slow reveal. They're just, do, 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 we're in the plane. We're going to get out of here. Ear-splitting noise of them being sucked up into this thing. And right. boom, full shot of this big, silver, awesome 1950s spaceship. Yeah. And they just slowly get pulled into the spacecraft. tractor beam And then you get to one of the coolest things about this film. The hand-drawn matte paintings that come into the film starting right here with the bay that they put the ship in, Mm -hmm. or that they put the plane in. This is one of my absolute favorite things about this film, is the hand-drawn matte paintings they use for the backgrounds and everything. Yes. I had to... There were several times where I just paused the film and just stopped and soaked in the detail.
1: Oh, man. On Metaluna, I i and i I don't say this as a dig, but on Metaluna when they were running from the little tractor beam of the ship to the transport tube or whatever, it mm-hmm. reminded me of the height of like looney Tunes hand painted backgrounds, if that means anything to you, yeah like I mean looney Tunes in in its prime those Warner Brother cartoons were so well crafted, and the backgrounds looked like you could just step into them, yes. and that's exactly what Metaluna looked like to me and. I mean, it was beautiful. They had depth and they had distance, and it was just it, it, incredible. They're
0: just—they're amazing. They're—I ma- mean, there's a couple of those stills that I'd love to just get printed up and have on the wall. They just right. looked awesome, right? Um, so the—they're the, approached by, I guess, the security for the place, yeah, uh, and and led over to Exeter, and they have a a, a quick exchange there of, uh. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh at the line delivery here. I can assure you we mean you no harm. Like Steve Carlson and Engelborg, like the others in that house, what happened was beyond
2: my control. What happened was mass murder.
0: No one talks like that, Rex. What are you doing? <laughs> so it's just a fun exchange these two have, but what stood out to me for some reason, because I don't think the I think the line delivery if it was a little better wouldn't have done this. If you look in the background of that scene, there's another interositor like screen. It's just a regular uh, uh, not inverted triangle. It's a regular triangle. Mm -hmm. And the monitor, that's the guy's name. He's called by name of the monitor. I'm assuming it's like Helmsman. You see him sitting in his chair and he is just watching this screen with nothing on it. The screen is blank. (laughs) He's got the atomic symbol in the center and he's turning a dial. What the (laughs) hell is this guy monitoring?
1: There's nothing in he's, front of him. He's monitoring the dialing of the dial. Uh, Maybe he's the just... guy that they don't want to trust with anything, but they just say, you need to do this. It's very important. Just keep doing it. <laughs> he's like, he's that one extra. They said, okay, look, we're not going to finish your makeup. Don't look at the screen.
0: <laughs> just just stare at this thing. Turn your little dial and go, aha, every now and, and again. We're just
1: filling the background. Just just <laughs> Turn. One one of the things that stuck out to me uh, in this scene is there's a great line Exeter talks about uh, to meet him. Well, as a scientist, you've got to be curious. And, you know, he's talking about his hands are tied and he's got to do this. And he turns to Dr. Adams and says... I was hoping you were going
0: to say this. (laughs) This is my favorite line. Go for
1: it. He says, don't tell me as a woman you're not curious about our destination. And what the hell does that mean? I don't know. I know that there's misogyny in there, but I honestly don't know what that means. <laughs> As a woman, you've got to be curious. What does so that we, mean?
0: We only see one female metalunan, right? Right. I assume that in their
1: culture, their
0: women are curious. That's what we're going to go with. They're navigators. We're going we're gonna- to... <laughs> we're gonna go with uh
1: sure we'll give him the benefit of the doubt maybe it's a cultural thing
0: oh god but it was hysterical <laughs> i i had to pause the movie back it up replay that scene and then pause the film again just to laugh at it
1: yeah i have that no was idea that was so funny <laughs> i have no idea what that means
0: so they they just up and decide yeah we're gonna roll with it because you know science um Exeter says, hey, let's get them uh, in in some uh suits because they're built for the – th- I can't remember what his phrasing was. They're either built for, for metalooning conditions or they're built to survive the environment. He uses some kind of line to that effect. It's the high waist. I think the high waist helps a lot. Oh, okay. So you <laughs> know what? Let's talk about those suits for a second. All right. Multiple places I checked in on this on, one of their little factoids okay. was that – according to the act, the actress faith the pants of her costume were so skin tight she couldn't wear underwear under them
1: oh my gosh she actually
0: had a female assistant that was assigned to her to help her get in and out of the costume wow uh because it was that tight wow. later in the movie when the the uh there's a chase scene that we'll get to because I don't wanna I don't wanna pull the, the cover off that just yet. But she there's several shots that to me were a little shocking for a nineteen fifties film that sci-fi yeah. in that mainstream showing her butt in full effect. I mean like right. it wasn't just that like oh she happens to be over here, she happens to have No 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 no. It looked like those scenes were framed up to go boom. This lady's not wearing any underwear and this this thing was painted on her. Take a look, boys, this is why you came to see this movie.
1: <laughs> right. For sure, I, I was
0: shocked. It shocked the heck out of me. So they get a little further. They get their little metaloon suits on. Out of everybody in this film, Rex looks like he should have been in that outfit. Like the that right. jumpsuit with the high collar looked like it was made for him, and he just kind of waltzes in all John Wayne. Well, you um, know what? It
1: reminded me of it. Reminded me of Archer and his tactical turtleneck. That's exactly what it reminded me of. <laughs>
0: What you don't see, guys, is I have
1: my head, in my hands right now to prevent myself from laughing. <laughs> Tactical turtleneck. Tactical turtleneck.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can I'll, imagine
1: Sterling Archer as a youngster watching this movie and being enamored with Rex Reason.
0: <laughs> Do you want mutants?
1: Because this, this is, is how you, how you get, get mutants. mutants. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we should call this episode. This is, this is how, how, you, how get you get mutants. mutants. There we go. There's our name.
0: That's awesome. So they they make their way out of the... And I think they actually called it the ionosphere of, yeah. of, the, of the planet. And you get this shot of, the of the of again, the silver spaceship on fire as yeah. it goes through that layer. Like literally on fire. The back right. end of this thing is just flames and sparks, flames and sparks, <laughs> flames and sparks. <laughs> right. And I'm going... I wonder how many times they did this shot before the entire thing just was, it like, their model engulfed right. in flames. Right.
1: Um, and so, did you notice the it, star movement as they go out? No, no, it's, no, no. Like, was it really fast, slow, or No, what? it's, uh, one thing I like to look at on uh, sci-fi is how space moves, because, you know, stars are very far off suns and balls of energy, and they don't move sure. like Some people think they might in, you know, in popular culture. And I like to pay attention to what they do. And actually, it was kind of a cool effect, if not accurate at all. But when they moved, (laughs) (laughs) the stars kind of pivoted like they were in a 3D space, like they were points of light in a 3D space around the ship. And it kind of made a cool movement where the far-off stars stayed in one place and the ones in front moved like you were actually moving through a 3D field of light, which was kind of a nifty effect.
0: That's, again, a hallmark of them actually getting some care to put a little something in there that was, again, eye-catching, appealing. Right. They didn't just make something that had some pieces in it. Everything in this looked well-constructed.
1: Right. And I think that's yeah. I think that's what really drew me into this movie. The plot is has a lot of holes in it, and it, it doesn't make <laughs> sense. You can drive sense.
0: an entire metaluna spaceship, or-
1: exactly, or you know, it just looks like the surface of metaluna. Oh, <laughs> anyway, shots fired! Shots so we're-
0: meteors fired!
1: Meteors fired! <laughs> I guess with so that, me- we've got a head there. So, what do we got? So, next? actually,
0: talking about the plot holes, I, I'll, I'll pick this up in the in the. Uh, spaceship itself one of the central like they make a point to point to focus in on this they show the tubes where they're going to right. decompress or naturalize them to the to the to the actual pressures of space and or the pressures of metal luna right so he says place your hands over the sensors yes. they're
1: magnetized <laughs> to your magnetized hands to what right exactly to the iron in your blood <laughs> and later on we see w- at, at sort of the the peak of drama in the movie when the shaft goes up and Dr. Ruth is stuck to the thing and she can't get away. Like, what does it do to your hand? I I, I, don't, I don't understand.
0: <laughs> and when they remove their hands, you see some of the actors really playing it up. They're doing this whole, like, I've got arthritis hands thing. Right. Like, Ooh. Right. Ah. Ooh. The magnetization. It gets your <laughs> joints.
1: I wonder if maybe it just electrocuted them in such a way that it forced them to grip the thing and they... Maybe that's the metalutons just got the that's wrong work. That's a good word. point.
0: <laughs> that's true. Well... They got a lot of things wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it goes forward. One, one last thing I'll say uh, about this: just a couple. <laughs> these are just funny. When they inject all that fog into the actual tubes themselves. Oh God! I've used fog machines <laughs> as part of uh, Halloween haunts and things like that. You don't want to be near a fog machine when no. it actually lets loose because that material smells to high heaven. It is not a pleasant smell. And you this is the far 50s. away. Who knows what was in there? Asbestos, those those tubes had to smell the
1: high heaven. Right. And uh, one thing, one question I had, first of all, I think the effect was incredible where they show them go, was this the point where they go to their skeleton and then their nervous system and they're all- Yeah, it was not far after that. Transparent, pretty much transparent, and then they slowly come back in. That was an awesome effect. And- You know, they said that was converting them to protect them against the pressure of Metaluno, whatever that means. And I was really hoping they get one of those little clear helmets. I like those helmets that the Metalunans (laughs) had. I kind of want one. You couldn't have contained
0: Rex's hair in one of those helmets. It just wouldn't have happened. It did make Um, them
1: look, though, like the Metalunans had some sort of gravy boat vanilla ice hair. (laughs) Like, it made it look like their hair came to a point. Maybe they belonged in that uh, Adam's Family video with... MC oh, Hammer. no, just
0: no, no, no. We're not going back. <laughs> Had there to bring can. it back. Had to bring it back. That, that
1: is <laughs> n- not legit. Not legit. So quit. But this is another instance, actually, of them <laughs> volunteering for something with no explanation whatsoever. <gasps> Exeter says to get in there. They go, OK. They don't ask <laughs> what's going to happen to their body. They don't know if they're going to be disintegrated or if they're just going to be locked in there and, you know, be zoo animals on some metalunan zoo they just jump right in those little tubes
0: did you catch what what with what, the, what yes. the cow said
1: yes you okay and you you like a new toothbrush
0: <laughs> such a great line what does that even mean what 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 does that mean out well, of everything in this film That I don't get. The plot holes. What does that mean?
1: If you want me to be Yorick here, one question I had. um, I guess you've heard of sort of the theory or the idea that using a transporter like on Star Trek, Mm -hmm. when you come out on the other end, you're actually not the same person. Because your atoms get destroyed and new atoms get destroyed, uh, get created on the other end that are a replica of yourself, but you are pretty much destroyed and an exact copy of you comes about. So I'm wondering if in this process, based on the visuals we're given, if your body is sort of broken down and built back up and why that would make Cal feel like a new toothbrush, I'm not sure, Uh, but maybe that has something to do with it? I don't know. I
0: don't know. I mean, it's... (laughs) I think
1: I think we're giving these writers a little too much
0: credit in some respects. <laughs>
1: yeah, probably. Uh,
0: so <laughs> well, they they transition, they finally make it to Metaluna itself. And wait, it wait,
1: one more thing. One more thing oh. on this spaceship. Did you notice the weird standing seats that they had? Yeah. So the- weird. Why not have a seat? <laughs> Why not they have a board with arm like arm? arms you can rest your arms on Even and like protrusions a protrusion of about six or eight inches that you rest your bum on why not have a seat because it's sci-fi like levi that's <laughs> why it's different get it sitting is so old school oh, we metaludans we... have advanced beyond <laughs> sitting i think we had the same idea there.
0: <laughs> so while they' while they're they're uh you get an explanation on the way there uh, that they as they're just about to get to the place, there are actually two comets are fired, quote-unquote, at the ship. The Zygons Exeter, are coming. The Zygons yes. are coming. Oh, that name, the Zygons. I love that's it. It's just such a good alien name. Metalunans, okay, I get it. But Zygons, that's an alien name.
1: You know they're the bad guys.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Cal notices that two comets are streaking toward the... uh uh, ship that they're on, and makes mention that those comets are coming right for us. And Exeter explains that the bad guys are actually shooting comets at them and at their planet. They're actually guiding them like missiles. Right. Um, so it was really weird to me that he then mentions that, offhanded almost, their planet used to be
1: a comet. Wh- I didn't even catch that.
0: What does that? What? I? What? How... What? I can't even fathom how, like, these guys used to be part of a big burning hunk of of space rock, and then they evolved off of it, and then they make these little guider ships that are on top of it, and then they harness comets as an attack weapon. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I know how to
1: explain it. (laughs) Science. Science. Let's say it together. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I thought it was cool. I actually didn't notice the spacecrafts until they were leaving Metaluna, but I thought it was a cool-looking effect with you see this burning ball coming toward you, and at the last minute, you sort of see the ship kind of head off as as it hurls toward you. I thought that was pretty cool. Visually, I agree. It looked really neat to kind of be like, oh, cool,
0: that's how they do it. But their explanation is what had me just scratching my head going. Yeah,
1: it was horrible. How, how did... <laughs> No. It didn't make no. sense at all. No. And something else that doesn't make sense, you you come up to Metaluna, and you see this desolate landscape with smoking craters and ravines everywhere, and they sort of come over this hill, and you see this crater, and as you get closer, you realize there's some sort of shell around the entire planet, I guess, yep. and they go down into this little hole. They, I think they called that, oh, you mean the, uh, I, I think they either referred to that <laughs> as
0: the ionosphere or they called it some kind of barrier. Honestly,
1: um, I was confused at that point. I was, <laughs> I, I didn't know what they were talking. You were I confused only say- at that point because I've been confused a lot. <laughs> of, <laughs> a lot of the film, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's true. But especially on the layers, I they they said iona ionization layer or something like that, mm-hmm. and I and I thought, oh, it's some sort of ion layer quote-unquote protecting the planet which doesn't make any sense but then i saw the crust and i thought well maybe that's it but i don't know we may never know so where, where do we take it from here where does it transition to well i believe now they don't they beam down to the surface of the planet and we get that great background that i was talking about yes. earlier and they run over and they get oh there was a funny moment when they they run down they run across to this, like, tra- it's like a subway station, basically. So they run over, and Exeter runs, like, to the edge of the door and holds his arm up to his face as one of the comets comes down. Like, he's shielding his face in sort of a duck and cover level of protection. In ca- I guess in case it, it comes toward them, he can deflect it with his forearm or something. Or his
0: forehead, one of the two. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, there may be more surface area
0: there. <laughs> so, But at, at that part, something I want to point out that I caught, I actually had to back the movie up a couple of times to make sure I actually heard him right. When they get on the tram and they're about to go to the main building proper after exiting the vehicle, <laughs> right. um, Exeter makes this um, – they're having this exchange. And Exeter just – and I don't know how it, this either got past the uh, consistency editor or what have you. But he says, covered the surface of our earth. Instead right. of Metal Luna, I went. Wait a minute. Backed it up. Played it again. Covered the surface of our Earth. Slip up. Caught you. Right. Red-handed. Big forehead, man. You exactly. messed that line up.
1: Either that, or it was just written wrong. I don't know. I think it was just they're using Earth in the colloquial term of Earth being like the a, ground like beneath say your planet? feet. Planet. Oh oh right so the i mean i guess you could sort of hand wave it away but i caught that as well the funnier part of it i thought with my sensibilities was he said they have a series of tubes covering the earth to get from one place to another so i immediately thought of al gore <laughs> so i was sort of preoccupied with that it's a moment. series
0: of tubes i'm super serial about it guys i'm super serial oh gee <laughs> so they they make their way uh to the um Main building. Oh
1: uh, man, I loved the color in this scene. Everything turns purple. Well, I,
0: I it hated incredible. that scene. I you hated absolutely it. Oh, when everything I loved it. went blue, I went. Did we walk into the Wonka factory? Did the kid get a hold of the wrong thing and now yeah. they're all blueberries? What is going on? I oh, thought the man. movie had messed up. I had to go do some research and find other edits of the film right. to make sure I didn't get a broken one. No, that was legit. The the light yeah. coming off that,
1: that monitoring piece. The atom. I, the I giant atom sculpture in the room.
0: Which did look very cool. I will say that. As yeah. far as set pieces are concerned, that was neat.
1: Um, yeah, I thought the... I, I mean... I, to to make something feel otherworldly, you know, in 1955, to just crank up this purpley hue on everyone, I I thought it was great. And at first, I kind of thought that the uh, chief guy, I don't know what his name was, I thought he might have been purpley. But then the other characters showed up as purpley, and later on, when they get pelted by the comets, he's normal color. When the room gets destroyed, so and I'm I was kind of um, curious why that room was that color. Like, why was his uh, communicator or whatever giving off that purple vibe? Yeah, the only thing I could think of is that
0: they thought that the effect would be good and science fiction like to yeah, have that that <laughs> Adam give off that weird per- as a, right. a weird purple color. That was our colors color. for these programs
1: from the Bone Vault Midnight
0: Later are predominantly purple, and my favorite right. color is purple. And I still looked at that and went, uh.
1: <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was cool because it made it look um, washed out. It reminded me of like when you see shots for a movie on a submarine and everybody's just red from the red lights down there. It kind of reminded me of like that where you're you're sort of enclosed in a space and, and you're in that space with some other people. And I don't know. I thought it was kind of a cool claustrophobic effect.
0: Yeah, I could. I could. Now that you say it, I could see that. Now, this is the more we talk about this film, the more I want to just sit there and give it another watch, just so I can see if I catch <laughs> anything else. Right.
1: And there was, um, I don't know if I want to call it a great line, but it's definitely one that stood out to me. Um, the chief guy. I'm going to call him Chief Guy because I have no idea what his name is. But I, Purple, honestly, I can't Purple remember. Purple Chief Guy. Um, he's talking about they want to move to Earth, which is kind of weird because they're. I don't know. Anyway, they want to move to Earth. And he states that they will be their superiors. And Meacham has this weird line out of nowhere. And he says,
2: Our true size is the size of our God.
1: And I expected him to, like, turn and wink and give, like, a buddy Christ thumbs up. At the camera, at that point, I was like, "Where did that line come from? They must have had some sort of weird 1950s like quota of you got to make sure you mention God because there's too much science in this movie." That's the only thing
0: I could think of that prompted that line. It that was came out of nowhere.
1: Out of nowhere. There's right. no and it religious no iconography. Nope. No. Pre- Except for the Adams, they might I- worship Adams. Who knows? <laughs>
0: I just that, that 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 was weird. The that was the weirdest placement for a line, but he, <laughs> he immediately sentences them to the the mind wipe or, or mind reconditioning, and the Ex-
1: transference chamber. There you go. Yeah, I and wrote it down.
0: You see, Exeter just kind of slump.
1: Yeah, the, he's the not actor, happy.
0: But I, I've got to give that actor some credit. He really oh yeah portrayed that well. I mean, you really see yeah. him kind of get defeated. Right, And he says, please, please come with me. And they exit. And then then we get to what I've been dying to talk about this entire the time.
1: The icon of this movie. The Mutant! The Mutant.
0: Not a mutant. Yes.
1: Not a mutant ant. The Mutant. Yes. I think it's and the e- best! Even though I had never seen this movie, when the Mutant came out, I recognized it. Because yes. it's Everywhere. Anything. It's right next to Robbie the Robot is something that you've seen. You may not know what it's called, but you've seen it. It's this weird, like, turquoise green creature with lobster claw hands, and it's big, huge, like, heart-shaped brain popping out. And, then, and that yeah. cool facial feature where it's got that front grill kind of like shredder <laughs> right.
0: right there in the front. So, right. a couple of quick things on the mutant just to give you guys a little tidbits. We, we kind of danced down. around. Um, it was made by Bud Westmore, who was actually a known quantity for uh, monsters and monster get-ups and things like that. So this is to his credit. It cost roughly $24,000
1: to make. Jeez. Is yeah. that uh, back then dollars? Yeah, yeah that's wow. back then dollars. That's expensive. That is incredible.
0: Uh, it, it started the... Trend of the bug-eyed monster quote-unquote and that's kind of how people they still call it the mutant but anything that's actually tan- uh uh c- connected to that or related to it it falls into this hmm. category that it trends set of bug-eyed monster and it started that's cool. there. Um, wow. <clears throat> something we've kind of said a little bit about when you see him come into the scene pay attention you, you may catch it you may not look at his pants. Yeah. Look at his, his legs. Legs he's wearing slacks the horrible lumbering big armed crazy mutant is wearing slacks because if you look at the original promo posters for this thing you'll see what was supposed to look like right they couldn't make the legs work right so they put the guy in trousers (laughs) right the big scary monster mutant (laughs) in trousers
1: Can you imagine how those effects people felt when they had spent all this time on doing all these things for this movie and they created this suit to wear on screen and it is not working and it's not a, you know, a happy sort of happenstance like with Jaws when they couldn't get the shark to work, they just happened to not show the shark through most of the movie and it became a great thing. Right. No, You just got to put pants on the guy. (laughs) I mean, that's got to be so defeating for them. Uh, But they just had to get it out the door, so.
0: I'm trying to figure out what the guy in the suit was going. He goes, wait, 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 hold on. You're going to tell me that I'm going to get in the get up, right? I got my lumbering down. But I'm going to do it in green friggin' slacks. All right, it's a paycheck. Let's do it. (laughs) It's his union. He didn't care. (laughs) Science. That's the explanation science, <laughs> so they they go to go past this thing, and Exeter gives them an explanation of it's a mutant uh about the higher brain functions of one of your insects or ants of your world. Uh, we have them as they've been bred for manual labor and security this one's science. guarding the- <laughs> this one's guarding this corridor, and he does this hand, this out of nowhere like nothing else yeah. has had this, no idea. Again, like you've said, maybe it's a Metalunin thing, but he does this overly dramatic stand aside and this big <laughs> hand gesture stand aside. And Cal goes by, Ruth goes by, and then Mutant goes, Nope, I'm done with nope. Metalunins. <laughs> Boom! Stabs him with the claw and drops him yeah. right there. So they, uh, they have the, another shake in the area. Stuff falls in, and you think it crushes the Mutant. They quickly get away, get into the the uh, pod. Oh, don't away skip over
1: Cal's line.
2: Do you believe in Cal?
0: In
1: this place, I wouldn't believe my grandmother. Punch, punch, <laughs> <laughs> and drops him. And then Exeter yeah. has the gall
0: to get back up and try to tell them afterward. Please believe me, I want to help you. It's like, dude, I just <laughs> right. socked you in the mouth. You want another one? Right. So they make their way back to the sh- to the. Uh, actually, no. I think I got those out of out of out of. Sync. Yeah,
1: you got those backwards.
0: So yeah, they they. they let me take a step back. They get to the to, away from where they're going to get mentally changed. They see the mutant. They
1: the mutant goes down just in a pile of rubble, just yes. sort of out of nowhere from the comets. And I, I believe it's that point when Exeter says, "You got to trust me," and Cal delivers the line, and then Exeter decides. He wants to help them escape, so he runs with them, and they get into another mutant, and that's when he sort of tells the mutant to get back, and the mutant says, nope, and as you <laughs> said, he just stabs him, and Meechum beats the crap out of the mutant. Whack and, a mutant. Right. <laughs> whack a mutant, exactly. And they get on the ship, but they don't see that the mutant got back up dun, and dun, slinks dun, back dun. into the ship. Oh, no, folks.
0: <laughs> so when they get back into the ship, something that I thought was kind of funny was they play this almost like the, like they're trying to act like the crowd doesn't know that the creature got back on the ship. And they play right. this nice, airy resolution music. If you guys will get into the Reconstitution Chambers, we'll get that going. And I'll, I'll get in the third chamber. and We'll be fine. Right. It's, everything's resolved and great.
1: <gasps> no. But it's not. <laughs> because... <laughs> The real, and this is part of the writing we were talking about. It was kind of cool that they they actually told you that when they're in these chambers, they have to be there for a certain amount of time, and they're literally locked in, which I thought was kind of cool, because you see the mutant come in, and they see them through the chambers, and one of them says, will these chambers hold? And Exeter says something about, well, the pressure's going to get to the mutant eventually. And... Unfortunately, it doesn't get to him fast enough, and the first pod to go up, of course, is Ruth because we've got to put the female in danger. Yep. And the the casing comes up, and her hands are demagnetized, or whatever the hell's happening, and she's able to run away from the monster and trip and fall about three or four times for absolutely no reason—the <laughs> Jason effect, right? And uh, <laughs> the funny thing was, Meacham gets out. You know, just in time to run over and do absolutely nothing to help her, and the mutant just sort of collapses and oh, dissolves he, into a puddle of goo.
0: When he before that, before he actually dissolves, when he uh-huh. went down, did you see where the actor's head just bounces off of that chair right before he no, hits the ground?
1: I didn't see that. He took a
0: hard head impact. Wow! I, I really hope they padded that helmet well, because you, when he goes, it's. Thud, bounce, ground.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to look at that next time I watch. It and I think it's pretty hard. I think we might have... Uh, I think in my notes I have this. I don't know if I have it backwards or not, but we might have missed one of the lines in the movie that was puzzling to me. When uh, Exeter is talking about Metaluna, it's getting pelted with all of these
0: uh, meteors, comets. comers, yeah.
1: Or meteors, whatever they call them. And all of a sudden... Meacham says something like, It looks like it's catching fire. And it starts glowing. And Exeter says, Oh, yes, it's being turned into a radioactive sun. And he has this weird look on his face. His planet is being eaten by fire. Yes.
2: They're concentrating all their attention on Metaluna. Those flashes of light, they're meteors hundreds of them. Intense heat is turning Metaluna into a radioactive sun. Temperature must be thousands of degrees by now. A lifeless planet, and yet, yet still serving a useful purpose. I hope. Yes, a sun, warming the surface of some other world, giving light to those who may need it.
1: What? <laughs> How does that even? First of all. How do you turn a solid planet into a sun by pelting it with comets? Science. Science. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this, though. The, to that
0: end, this is my takeaway from that line. I had the exact same reaction till I stepped back and went, wait, wait, wait. wait. I think he came unhinged at that point. I think uh, seeing, good point. seeing his planet finally go to the wayside. He let go. He just, boop. Snapped and let the enormity of what just happened sink, wash over him. Right, and it's just at this that point, what can he resignation? do? Nothing, nothing. You're done. Right. He You're, can't do
1: anything. Everything that makes at sense, that and that makes sense for his actions for the rest of the movie. And <laughs> real quick, there was one great line when they're going up to the tubes. Ruth, you
2: take the first tube. You the next. What about you? I'll use the third tube.
0: <laughs> 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 dot dot dot. Dumbass. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: This is why we're but, superior to you. My my boss was right. You're an idiot. Right. You don't realize there are three tubes and three of us. But anyway, we got that out of order. But I think we're pretty much where we need to be with the monster melted away. And hopefully the actor not having too bad of a concussion after that. Wow. I mean, yeah. So it
0: melts away. We get a nice full resolution to the film. Mm-hmm. Cal and Ruth have a quick conversation with Exeter. Of, Come. Come to the planet. You have so much to Teach (laughs) us. And Exeter gives them the no, no, my friends. I must go. There are more places to see, more things to do. And And Cal's like, Exeter, you're a liar. You're out of power and you're in no condition to fly. And they just go, bye. Get on their plane. Well, Exeter says his
1: wounds can never be healed, which, okay, whatever. (laughs) What they didn't see is the face I just made.
0: Um, they exit the, exit the spacecraft kind of fly out a bit and then you almost wish that they would have played Bon Jovi's blaze of glory yeah. at this point because he <laughs> that would just be
1: perfect <sighs> explodes into the ocean
0: doesn't give them any of his tech doesn't give no. them anything just goes hey didn't save the planet but guess what bye there's
1: no more traces of the existence of my people Right. And thankfully, the extreme pressure of Metaluna did not affect the airplane that they brought from Earth in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. They just jump right out and fly it out of the spaceship. Didn't even think of that. Didn't and, even and think And Cal's of that. line home. Thank God it's still here. Roll credits.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I have to say, overall. There's a lot of things we ribbed on about this film. We poked this a lot. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, I still feel, even from my first time viewing this when I was a kid, to now, to seeing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 rib, I still enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed the film. Yeah, it's a good movie. So, we, one other tidbit I'll add to the end of this real fast. Something I don't that I didn't know, again, until we got into this. There was a plan for a sequel to this in 56. Yeah, uh, Frank Cohen and uh, uh, William Allen submitted a script uh, for titled Aliens in the Skies to Universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a short time, it was announced as to be in pre-production. Uh, the studio boss, uh, Edward Mull, if I'm pronouncing that right, mm-hmm. uh, shot it down. Uh, he, uh, over the budget, he thought it was way too much. He was one of those churn right. and burn kind of guys. He wanted to just keep cranking them out uh, for kids, is what he called it. It was supposed to actually come out. They were going to get Rex Reason back. They were going to get Faith back. Right, uh, full cast. And it would come out in 57. I would love to have seen that movie. I yeah. want to see more of this. Uh, I want to see, did they maybe pull the wreckage of Exeter's ship and extract right. that technology? Pull a Terminator make- 2. Exactly, and make another mutant. Maybe it's right. these, these maybe not as powerful as the original mutants, but they went rampaging across the earth. You know, right? Hey, nobody think... steal nobody steal that idea. That's our <laughs> idea. We're gonna
1: we're gonna make that fanfic. Well, hey, hey, maybe they've made sequels and prequels to all kinds of movies. We have the thing, and we have all kinds of weird Halloween movie. Who knows? Maybe they'll make some sort of uh, sequel to this movie. I would have loved to have seen the 1957 version, though, because I think with the popularity of this movie um, and just how much it has lodged itself into the public conscious, even if you don't know it, you've seen pieces of this movie or you've heard things about it or you've seen something that was influenced by it. I can't imagine what if they would have given it even just a little more budget and just a little bit more to the writing. It could have been a really great sequel.
0: Yeah. Yeah most definitely and you know just, just to put the capstone on this this movie genuinely was a fixture of the 1950s sci-fi films this right. was in my opinion a quintessential film the the, the pacing the acting the uh, the color they use for it the everything everything just smacks of a, of a, of a Dynamite nineteen fifty sci-fi flick. Right. So um you know let's let's do our normal rap on this. Uh would Nim like this movie? Nim loves this movie. This is his sci-fi film. (laughs) Uh when he when he wants to unwind, uh he gets into one of the Metalunan uh reconstitutional pods and fills it with his own brand of smoke, (laughs) Patent. Uh
1: so yeah, uh, again, you know, I, I, just, I can't say enough about this film. I want to mention a couple of pieces of pop culture that were directly influenced by this. Sure. Um, the Misfits, the New Jersey punk band, had a song entitled This Island Earth on their album American Psycho. And uh, another group, Gil, I'm sure you've heard of, Guar. their fourth album was entitled This Toilet Earth. And there was a short form movie called Skullhead Face that was sort of <laughs> a lot of the visuals were taken. They had some oversized uh monsters with brains and whatnot. Went a little off the rails because it's guar. But it's also appeared in television series. There was an episode of Wonder Woman that it appeared in. It's in the movie E.T. the extraterrestrial. There's a scene where Elliot or E.T., I think e. T. is watching TV, mm-hmm. and there are these two characters in an airplane. And I never realized that's the scene from uh, this island earth where they're getting pulled into the ship and weird Al was a big fan. So portions of this, uh, I believe it was the interocitor appears in UHF and the video dare to be stupid. So, I mean, there are influences all over pop culture from this movie. And I think like you said, it's because it's a quintessential piece of 1950s sci-fi. And with that, I think we can put the final nail in this coffin and Gil, I wanted to tell you next week, we've got something coming up that is very near and dear to my heart, which are two wonderful world of Disney TV movies, Mr. Boogity and the bride of Boogity. Have you ever heard of these? No, I have never seen these. (laughs) This is something I watched as a kid and I thought it would be really fun. And I think it will tie into what we're doing here at from the bone vault. And, Midnight Lair. So I'm excited to show it to you. And with that, Gil, why don't you let everyone know where they can reach us?
0: Well, if you're looking for something a little ooky and spooky in your life, you can uh, head on out to www.midnightlayershow.com. Facebook is your poison. You can reach us at facebook.com forward slash midnightlayershow. Uh, if Twitter gets you out there talking to people, twitter.com forward slash TV, And of course, from our main website, you can reach our YouTube channel. Please like, favorite, and subscribe. From the Bone Vault, this is Gil.
1: And this is Levi. Good night, and stay scary. I feel like a new toothbrush. Thank you for listening to Episode 3 of From the Bone Vault, This Island Earth. If you would like to join the conversation, please send us an email to fromthebonevault at gmail.com. This has been a Midnight Layer Studios production.